Hit record. Is it rolling, Bob? All right, Pepper 55th Part 2. Three, two, one. Untitled Beatles Podcast. Well, welcome back, TJ. God, what did you do in the, the interim between Sergeant Pepper Part 1 and here Part 2? Well, Tony, I've been listening to the unreleased Phil Ramone-produced Paul McCartney track, Return to Pepperland. <laughs> oh. Wait till you hear it. Phil Ramone. Yeah. The fifth Ramon, they call him. A.O., <laughs> <Hey>, oh, let's know. <laughs> yeah, I know we're not going to use this part, but wait till you hear this track. He made a song called Return to Pepperland in, I think, 87, and it's unfortunate. What do you mean? Is it like Cancelville, or what do you mean it's unfortunate? No, just, it's like, it's, it's like a, just a, a track that was never released. It's real sappy. It's like Return to Pepperland. It's like Paul trying to kind of harken back to 20 years previous, and it's it's unfortunate. Uh, it wasn't 20 years ago today, I guess. Right. They didn't put it out. Sergeant Pepper told the band to <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> Welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast. I'm Tony Mendoza. Hey, TJ Shanoff with you right here as we go through Sergeant Pepper and our documentary, It Was 55 Years Ago Today. That's right. Uh, in 10 years, Sgt. Pepper retires. You've only got 10 years to listen to this album, and then you can't listen to it anymore. Sgt. Pepper will be retired. That's it. It's time we cancel Sgt. Pepper. <laughs> People say it's the first uh, gatefold Beatles album. It's not true. Beatles for Sale has yeah. kind of a weird gatefold. It's it does not have, really mm -hmm. a gatefold. It's got like a thin front cover that opens up. Yeah. Did Beatles Story, was was that a gatefold Oh, that's a gatefold, too? and the American Help soundtrack was a gatefold. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Which came first? I think Beatles Story might have come first versus uh, yes. Beatles for Sale, right? Uh, oh, yes, Beatles Story would have come before. Oh, it's comparing American and UK markets right now. <laughs> different time, different time zones, too, so who knows? It's all different. It's Wednesday it's there. <laughs> Well, we talked a lot about Pepper, but we never got around to actually going track by track on these classic, <laughs> classic, classic Vickles, uh, classic pickles, classic America's favorite pickle now in California. Unless you have something else to say before we start going track by track, we were just going to get into uh, Sergeant Pepper. We'll go over every song that's on the record and uh, all the various mixes between the original the 87s, maybe, the 2009 remaster and the 2017 remix. I really like that one, by the way. But you, you you, think it didn't need it? Is that right? Yeah, I feel like the original stereo and the remaster, both the 87 remaster is one of the best of the Beatles remasters as well. The 09 didn't improve on it that much. But I have somewhere here the Beatle fan magazine review of the 87 CD in real yeah. time with just, just breathlessly going over it about graded sounds. One of the ways I learned to listen to this album, I'm going to show you this real quick. This is the picture sleeve or excuse me, not the picture sleeve. This is the, the picture disc picture disc. Look at that. that came out. I want to say in 78, right around the time the film came out, they issued this <gasps> right. And Tony, they issued the Sergeant Pepper with little help. From my friend single back with the day in the life. Yes. It was a 45, uh, 11 years later. I love A Day in the Life is the B-side. <laughs> yeah, isn't it great? Arguably their best song ever. Let's put on the beat. Let's put it on the, the flip. <laughs> DJs aren't going to play this shit. <laughs> it's too long. Too long. Got to cut it down to 305, as Billy Joel would say. It was a beautiful song, but it ran too long. If they're going to have a hit, you got to make it fit. So they cut it down to 305. Or 409, as the Beach Boys would say. She's real fine, my 409. While cleaning their kitchen. I've got grease and dirt, but I can get rid of grease and dirt. I spray and wipe the 409, and everything looks fine. Boom, 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 boom. Let's do it. Let's go track by track and see what happens. Uh, I forget what song uh, this record starts with. What is it? Yeah, I don't know. This may be Mr. Moonlight. 
I will say, uh, you know, as a huge musical theater fan, one of the things I love a lot about musicals, it drives me crazy. You want to make TJ angry? Mm. Go see a I musical do. with me and talk during the overture. When ah. the orchestra starts playing and you're like, oh, yeah, the, the 156 was packed. And the, Shut the fuck up. <laughs> do you see the or you see the conductor with his hands in the air? Do you hear the music? That means stop talking. Yeah. I love an overture in, in, a, in a musical. And this album, Paul's Sense for Theatricality, the sound effects of the band warming up, the orchestra, the crowd anticipation. Yeah. It feels like an overture. And Tony, is it possible that the first couple bars of this song are the biggest rock moment the Beatles had had thus far on record? I feel like, especially in mono, this album explodes with their biggest rock and roll song to date. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's a stomping little little rock number there. It's never been one of my favorite songs. Who cares? But as far as like a way to start a record out and give it like a proper introduction. Yeah, it's really cool, man. It's really cool. The crowd sounds came from the Abbey Road vault. The audience murmur at the top is from volume 28. Audience applause and atmosphere. Royal Albert Hall and Queen Elizabeth Hall. Uh, the laughter came from applause and laughter. Volume six. Uh, from a Fortune Theater performance of Beyond the Fringe, which was recorded by George Martin and featuring uh, Dudley Moore, Peter Cook, and some yeah. other folks doing some 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 satire back then, uh, nineteen sixty one. And shall we be consumed? Consumed? No, we shall not be consumed. We shall be up on the mountain here, you see, while millions burn, having a bit of a giggle. <laughs> also in Capital, the Beyond the Fringe album. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I did not know that. I did not know that. I always love the bit of laughter, though, in the middle during that French horn bit. It's so funny. It lets <laughs> us in on the joke. <laughs> yeah. I want to say, uh, I think Ringo got some of that Angus McBean rubber vomit. That That's why he, <laughs> everyone was laughing there. You know, I still know the difference between Angus McBean and Ally McBeal. <laughs> Allie McBeal took the picture of uh, Please Please Me, and Angus McBean is, uh, I'm still waiting on my Angus McBean itchy powder, <laughs> six to eight weeks, but I mean, talk about like supply chain, even itchy powder is affected. <laughs> Have you tried the Angus McBean, the new veggie burger at select McDonald's location? <laughs> uh, Angus McBean's a fun name. It's it's a malleable comedy name. So here we are. <laughs> it's Mal Evansable. And um, <laughs> one thing I would say about the mono version of this, George's little guitar licks yeah. in mono yeah. slice through the song. I feel like mono made a little bit like Revolution. Mono makes this two times more of a rock song in the stereo. I agree. I agree. Do you notice how the band comes to a rest in the mono before going into the Billy Shears bit? Yes. That's a mono thing. That's cool. Uh, there's also no bass on during Billy Shears. There's no bass. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. It's like just organ, right? Piano, I think, right? Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, there's some organ the in there too. Tacky, sure. da, 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 on the yeah. piano. Yeah. Yeah. Those triplets. And then, so this is the first time Paul used a DI box for the bass. So yeah. it did not go through an amp. It went directly into the console. They were trying to, again, you know, they learned from paperback writer that they could turn a big bass speaker into a microphone, but they never used that technique again. And I suppose it was easier to do it this way. Uh, one of the engineers came up with it. They kind of invented DI. Is it Ken Townsend was the engineer? I want to say you're right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, they innovated the DI box, Tony, as opposed to as yeah. opposed to going usually they'd mic the amp. They went yes. right through the control room, right right through the board with this. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why there's a distinct bass sound. And I guess John Lennon was really into this idea of the whole direct input thing. He asked if he could do DI on his vocals. <laughs> George Martin said, Yeah, if you plug it into your neck, George yeah. Martin had a funny response to it. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, oh, Cancel Corner. Uh, 
Bill Cosby covered this song. Uh, so. Yeah, that's right. All that's good. It was 20 years ago today. Um, you know, I love the use of the timpani in this. Get It's so theatrical going into the Billy Shears moment into a little help from my friends. There's like a timpani that helps accentuate it that also feels very theatrical. That's cool. One of my favorite moments in this song is Paul's first solo line. I don't really want to start the show. I don't really want to start the show. I love it. <laughs> it's funny, but I thought you might like to know. But I thought you might like to know. I love it. You know, yeah. He doesn't really want to start the show. Wouldn't that be funny if like original copies, like it's just like the first side's mostly silence and then they start the show like when Paul wants to. <laughs> I don't really want to start the show. I'm on a 20 minute union break. <laughs> yeah. He's on his hammock or whatever his, <laughs> what are those called? Equity hammocks. Equity hammocks. Equity hammocks. More like. Uh, cots. Equity cots. Equity yeah. cots. Paul would not be on a hammock. Uh, 2017, you get some extra tracks. You get uh, Take One, instrumental, of them finding it. If I were doing my script supervisor notes for that, I would say, finding it. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club, Hearts Club Band. One. This is a uh, Take One. Yeah, okay. And then take nine is the vocal with kind of a meandering ending before they came up with the Billy Shears thing. It. It's funny how timid the band is too during the gap that's eventually reserved for the uh, the French horn. There's four French horns there. The band gets really quiet there. It's it's interesting. I never noticed that with the horns. Yeah. Oh, with the horns, also the all horn cover version of with the Beatles, which is really nice. <laughs> you got to hear Hold Me Tight with all brass. <laughs> this has never been one of my favorite Beatles songs either, but as an opening, it's very tough to beat in terms of the way to open a Beatles album. It's inviting. It sets the stage. It it sets up a Beatles album as well as any song has ever opened up a Beatles album. Lots of other versions of this, too. Paul did this live for the first time ever in the 89-90 tour. segue into the Sgt. Pepper's reprise. And he did it at Live 8 with U2 and a oh. real and a real horn section. Yes. And Ringo was hurt that he wasn't asked to be part of it because 
Paul and you two apparently had a bit of a who's going to open Live Aid, who's going to close it. It was decided Paul would close it, you two would open it, but so Paul could be a presence. They did Sergeant Pepper with a horn section and you two as the Beatles. Why did I just say that? <laughs> yeah, man. Rock and roll compromise. <laughs> yeah, poor Ringo. Yeah, man. And the weird thing was you two got Andy White to play drums on that. so Which was pretty great. Andy White and Jimmy Nickel, who just wanted to do Getting Better. <laughs> getting Better with an N and an apostrophe. Yeah. Not what made us getting better. It's getting better all the time. Well, it goes into With a Little Help from My Friends, which, yeah, man, this was like a marathon session and went all through the night. Took him a while to get it. And Ringo completed his vocal sometime around sunrise, like in the 5 a.m. hour. I think he was like, oh, we got the backing track done. I'll do the vocal in the morning. And the Beatles were like, nope, nope. Let's get that. Let's get that vocal now. Written in a way that was easy for Ringo to sing. George Martin demonstrates this in that the 92 documentary where he plays the melody and piano, how just those few notes. Paul wrote that song and wrote it beautifully simply with just five notes that Ringo had to carry all within... One little phrase of, which was. All in those notes. Terribly simple, terribly effective. And how Paul had to coach him to come up with a high note at the end, but he does it perfectly. I know the Joe Cocker version is the more famous version of this. I know this has been covered by many, many, many people. But with all due respect, the Yellow Submarine and Octopus's Garden and your favorite, Act Naturally. Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> the later version of it with Buck Owens. When, <laughs> hey, the, the original. Uh, I, uh, I feel like this is Ringo's seminal moment. He never again or never before had the two hole on a Beatles record. Yeah. And the, the importance of this song coming out of the opening number and establishing Ringo as a viable viable singer in a non-joke song, I think this number is astonishing. What would you think if I sang out a tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? Lend me your ears and I'll sing you a song and I'll try not to sing out a key. Oh, I get by with a little help from my friends. I think I've taken a lot of these songs just for granted. I think I've taken this whole album for granted. I think back at the beginning of episode one of this, we were kind of talking about how this record used to be considered the best record ever. And then I think everyone just got tired of hearing that. And in response, they're like, well, actually, Revolver's pretty good, too. And well, what about Abbey Road? And then the weirdos say the White Album or whatever. But yeah, I think I've taken this record for granted over the last 10, 15 years or whatever. So having these moments to really sit down with it, read it, pour over the lyrics like I used to do when I was a kid. It really brought it, like you said, like it's, it might be back in my top three again now. And yeah. and this song in particular, I was like, you know what? I actually really like this song. I, Me too. And I don't think I ranked it very high on my, you know, when we ranked things back way back when earlier this year. But uh, I really like this song. Like the, those, so the calfskin heads, you really hear them on the drum fills in this song. Like Ringo gets like, everything drops out for those fills. And they're great little fills. Yeah, it's it's a great song. It's a great song. It was a work song from John and Paul. Yeah. With the original title, Bad Finger Boogie, which this is where all the whole bad finger stuff comes from. And that's because I guess John hurt his finger. And so when he was composing the melody, uh, he used his middle finger because his pointer was was hurt. And therefore, it was the bad finger boogie. Right. So that's cool. I didn't know that. I was not aware of that. I always thought it was just like a weird like finger pie, you know, <laughs> reference or something like that. You know? No, he hurt his pointer finger, and that's why John was so influential when the Pointer Sisters started out. <laughs> John's cover of the Pointer Sisters cover of Bruce Springsteen's Fire is one of those moments you can't unhear. Over men and horses, hoops and goddess, lastly to a hogshead of real fire. And then, yeah. Originally written by Jimi Hendrix. I only want to burn a desire. 
so it's like it's a, it's a fifth dimension covered. Wait, the fifth dimension did it? Yeah, on the Birds album 5D. Oh, oh, oh! Isn't Hey Joe on that? Yes, it is. <laughs> we we just who's on first in this episode? <laughs> that was all real too. Uh-huh. All those references were real. Did you, I love this? So that video that you spoke of—that's great. So that came with the box set. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's basically it's a slightly revised version of a 92 documentary that I videotaped off of the Disney Channel in 95 did a Beatles night. And the documentary as a credit in 92 and a slightly revised version was made in the late 90s that was remastered for the 2017 box set. And it looks and sounds great, except for the Phil Collins moments. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. 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 Phil Collins is the talking head we don't need. That is for damn sure. Uh, Yeah. And that definitely speaks to its time, too, like when this was created. Like, okay, All right. Sure. Why not? (laughs) But there's a great moment in there where Ringo's talking about how he changed one of the lyrics. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The original line. I can't believe this was a line. This is that like parrot on your shoulder line that did get extracted. Would you. (laughs) What's that? What is it? What would you think if I sang out a tune? Would you throw ripe tomatoes at me? (laughs) Yeah. Although when Ringo's remembering it, he adds a lot more syllables. He's like, the original line was, what would you think if it sang in a tomb, just stand up and walk out and throw tomatoes in my direction? I'm like, Ringo, I don't think that scans, Holmes. And it was because he didn't want to ever have to get hit with tomatoes if he ever sang this song in front of actual people, you know? The the Jelly Babies curse is still in Ringo's head, yeah. The original line was... um, what would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you, would you throw, uh, would you stand up and throw tomatoes at me, or would you throw tomatoes at me? And I, I would not sing that line, tomatoes at me, because uh, I hated the line anyway. And in those days, they used to throw all sorts of stuff at us on stage, <laughs> and uh, I didn't want this to become a habit either. But what a stupid line! Would you throw ripe tomatoes at me? <laughs> it just, it, that to me is like that's a clunker of a line. I'm glad they. Ringo got rid of that one. How come Ringo hates produce? What does Ringo <laughs> Starr have against the American farmer? Stay away from me. You don't have to be lonely at FarmersOnly.com. Uh, like you said, a lot of people covered this song, but my favorite cover, TJ, is by Wet, Wet, Wet. That's a band I've heard of. I cannot name one wet, wet, wet song. I can't either, but I I saw that they covered it. They're a Scottish group and they were named after. uh, It was actually they were named because uh, Duran Duran was out and Talk Talk was out and they were from Scotland and it rains there a lot. So they're like, well, we'll be wet, wet, wet. (laughs) Oh, good. Well, that certainly helped propel their career beyond an album. By the way, stick around. After this, uh, we're dropping the first episode of the Untitled Wet, Wet, Wet podcast, where TJ and I talk, uh, say that anecdote often. (laughs) Wet, wet, wet. Not to be used with the Stones song from Steel Wheels, Sad, 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 or your favorite Buster Poindexter hit that begins with him yelling, Ole, Ole. Yeah, I don't know why the song wasn't called Ole, Ole. It's called Hot, Hot, Hot. And my favorite group, Tony, Tony, Tone. It worked out and then they worked it in. Tony, Tony, Tony has done it again. Uh, of which I was, I was kicked out. I was the fourth Tony, Tony, Tone, Tony. You're Tony, Tony, Tone A? Tone A, whichever it is. There was a time when networks were using then somewhat current songs. And I swear to God, at somewhere in 93 or 94, there is a commercial for CBS to the tune of Hot, Hot, Hot that goes, Friday nights on CBS, feeling hot, hot, hot. It's like, what's hot about the Golden Girls reboot, fellas? Friday nights. Reservation for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. When you check into the Golden Palace, use your real name. Mr. This sure beats doing it on the floor at the office, Smith. Then, when the general becomes a landlord, what could be worse than a renter's mutiny? The tenants are holding a rent strike. All new made you dad after the Golden Palace on CBS. Friday hot, hot, hot. One more quick thought. 
a moment where stereo is preferable, and I will give the 2017 remix credit, the Billy Shears harmony into this in stereo is lovely. I will say Paul's bass is that much more well-rounded in mono. What do I do when my love is away? Does it worry to be alone? The bass seems to have less treble. No pun okay. intended. Paul's bass is just... I feel like in mono, it's like a Motown bass song on top of what Ringo's doing. Just glorious, yeah. Tony. Glorious, glorious, glorious. What a one-two punch to start this record. And then we get to the third track. Yes. Yeah. The first three songs on here have so many words, man. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band with a little help from my friends. Although here's, it just says a little help from my friends. I'm just noticing that on the lyric sheet. I think the with became parenthetical. Is that right? I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. There you go. And then Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. So a lot of words on these titles, you know. It was a wordy time. People had a lot to say. And this, of course, obviously, we all know the story. I'm sure you all heard this one. It was inspired by a pastel drawing that Julian brought home. It's his classmate. Her name was Lucy O'Donnell Vaden. I think that's how you say it. I'm not sure. And then people pointed out, of course, the initials were LSD. They had all, I think they had all by this time taken LSD. Yes, yes. Paul was the last one to do it. He held out. But by this time, they'd all done it. Lennon was always into Lewis Carroll. Most of the imagery comes from Through the Looking Glass, the Which Dreamed It chapter, uh, which is, you know, took place on a river and the sky and this kind of a thing. So that's the imagery. But it's also very psychedelic, too. I mean, honestly, man, when I first heard this as a junior high kid, it made me want to do it. Made me want to do acid, LSD, drop it, see what it was all about. Yeah, I, I, this is me being Beatles stupid. I always thought John ripped this off of Aliota Haynes and Jeremiah. <laughs> Lakeshore Drive. <laughs> the original LSD. <laughs> Snaking on by on LSD. Proud of that Trump, one of the great... Good That's song. like what dirty water is to Boston. Lakeshore Drive is to the greater Chicago. Yeah, no one else knows that no song. No one knows it. I remember telling people about that song when I moved to the desert and, and people were like, what are you, what song are you talking about? It's like, what? It's a classic rock song. <laughs> the days of the regional hits. Yeah. WCKG was forced to play that three times a night. <laughs> 105.9 FM, WCKG, all classic rock and less talk. Yeah, in fact, the Beatles were, despite the fact that they had all done it, they were offended, maybe offended strong, but they were perturbed by the fact that people tried to make it like an, an LSD thing. That wasn't the intention. There was a purity to this that came from the drawing that I think the Beatles wanted to keep that way. I don't, this, you know, as much as got to get you in my life was about pot and there's plenty of drug references sure. and drugs throughout the making of this record. This was not intended to be some over gross drug song. It was not. No. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what they say. And I do believe them. I know they weren't like, oh, let's get everyone to take LSD. They were their own thing. You do your own thing. We do ours. And this is, we did that. And this, it affected our brains and <laughs> here's this cool music, but they're not saying like, go out and do it, you know, but I will say that the imagery really, it was alluring and all the colors and everything. I, I like this song a lot. It was one of the ones that I really gravitated towards when I was uh, first getting into this record. Picture yourself in a boat on a river with tangerine trees and marmalade skies. Somebody calls you, you answer quite slowly. A girl with kaleidoscope that's a Lowry organ that Paul's playing, that wonderful little melody. It sounds like a Celeste, but it's a, yeah, it's it's a funny, one of those funny organs. I have a Lowry organ album by Dick Hyman, and it's uh, it's a really- Dick Hyman, I, excuse me. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, you know, he's the Space Age bachelor pad stuff, but I, <laughs> my friend Alex, her mom banged Dick Hyman somewhere in Florida back in the day. On purpose? <laughs> yeah. 
this song is so well recorded and so well performed. I love this song too. It's one of the many Beatles songs that no other Beatles song sounds like. And I'll tell you what I think is yeah. cool is that Elton John had a huge hit with this that John Lennon played rhythm guitar on and they performed this together at the last time John performed live yeah. in Madison Square Garden Thanksgiving weekend of 74. And at one point, Elton drops out and you hear John singing the chorus by himself toward the end of the song. just makes at least it always made me think like fuck you know if the Beatles had toured in the 70s or the 80s or the 90s or whenever this would have been part of the set list for sure totally yeah I love the song I, I love mono again this song is the automatic double tracking is echoier or spacier there's more reverb in this it's a different experience in mono when they mix this for stereo a week or two later they took some of those vocal effects flanging maybe they reduced the vocal effects a lot yeah. preferable to me in mono and last thing for you tony paul in two john songs paul's intro to this and his intro to strawberry fields and the mellotron yeah I mean, the partnership they had is not just day in the life. Paul's intros are seminal parts of two of John Lennon's greatest songs. Yeah. And I would argue George's as well with, um, wow, my guitar gently weeps. That's him on piano. That piano playing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. He's good. He's good. That Paul. <laughs> Paul's all right. <laughs> I love like Lennon's vocal is pitched so high. It's, it's bordering on chipmunk at times, man. Yeah. Yeah, I really That's dig what? that. He made Yoko call him Theodore for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that was during his Fat Elvis phase when they met. <laughs> hey, 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 it's Fat Elvis. <laughs> yeah, but it's so funny because he almost, he sounds like he is smaller, you know, let's get small, right? Hey, <laughs> let's get small. There's a thing that has been mixed out that I used to really like when he says so incredibly high and then there's a little like hi afterwards. He has, yeah. it almost sounds like he's coughing. They got rid of it in the 2017 mixes and I forget if it made it onto the 2009 mixes, but I think when I was again, listening on cassette and the 87 mixes, it, it was in there and it's great. I, I, I miss it. I miss it in these new mixes. Yeah, I don't know if it's mixed out or if it just what's happening with the orchestrations just ascending so much you just can't hear it as well. I'm not sure. I'd listen for it and the new mixes and it, I think they took it out. Just like they took out um, a Swarmandel note in Strawberry Fields on at the end when it, uh, during the fade out bit. They got rid of one. Huh, okay. Yeah, man. I have it in my Strawberry Fields notes later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll bring that up. Just a couple things I like about this song. When that piano chord hits, that low piano chord. It's spooky and it's it speaks to the danger of this like otherwise Candyland kind of safety world. Like I love the ominousness of that low piano note in there. Yeah, it almost feels like a suspended minor chord is what feels like it's Ooh. happening underneath it. Yeah. Yeah. Same thought as you. I, I get chills when I hear it. And Ringo's, I will say this, on this whole record, Ringo's hi-hat work is really prominent and extraordinary throughout the whole thing. He plays very tastefully. I love the little jazzy sizzles he adds to this song. I mean, it's a hypnotic, crazy little song. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's one of the classic John Lennon songs. We've already started this album out. It took to the third song to get to John. Think about that mm. for subjugating one's ego. John Lennon in the most famous Beatles album has the third song. Yeah, yeah. It, it speaks to what we were talking about earlier in the previous episode about Paul's ascension of, you know, creativity, creative control, for lack of a better word, kind of taking over, you know. 
on the extras with the 2017, you get take one, which opens up, but they almost sound like the monkeys again with the, a lot of monkeys talk here. Yes. <laughs> Don't they with the organ? It's got that, uh, I'm a believer organ sound. <laughs> I've got the same note. It sounds just like that. <laughs> That's hilarious. And then you get to hear Paul coaching John on like the vocal inflection because John was, uh, they speak to this in the video too. John originally sang very monotone and you, you hear that on take five or whatever. Okay. It's cool that Paul wanted to make it more legato or whatever that is where you're bending the notes and... I, to me, that's like, that's what makes the song is the quality of his, his, uh, voice. Yeah. It adds to the fleshing out the melody, but adds to the dreamlike quality of it. Thank you. Thank you. As Dave used to say to Paul, thank you for crystallizing my thoughts eloquently. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we talked about Jimmy Nickel. He was the inspiration for getting better. We've mentioned that on this program before. Yeah, I like the backing track. You know, I always thought that this sounded like a mellower version of Got to Get You Into My Life, Sans Horns. But like, that's the vibe I got. Yes. And when the box set came out and I heard some of the earlier takes of this, it's got a mid-60s strut to it that I just love when it's basically just electric piano in the yeah. band before they fleshed it out. Yes. I love the song. Paul's added this back to his set list. Uh, he'd only done this once before on the O2 tour. And it was a highlight then. I love this song. You know, it's we, we've been listening to this a lot around the house. And it's one of those songs where my soon-to-be six-year-old hearing, I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her apart. Yeah. It's one of those lyrics that, even though it's commentary and satirical and I think possibly about John. Yeah. Um, this is him confessing. And saying what a horrible person I was. I wish I, that hadn't happened. Yes. And it's important that you got it out. It still mars, especially in this day and age, the song a little bit to have to hear that line. I always wonder the response when Paul does that live now in 2022, because it's an ugly line. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. I, I'm not canceling. I put that in quotes because I don't take anybody seriously who uses the term canceling for real. I think it's ridiculous and usually hypocritical. Um, but I still love it. It's a favorite Beatles song of mine, a favorite song on this record. It just makes me feel a little yucky now. Oh, I actually have the Lennon quote here. I will have to be a lot older before I can face in public how I treated women as a youngster. So that's that's the line in reference to getting better. Yeah. It's something he never entirely grew out of. I don't want to face it, which mm. was one of the last songs he was working on before he died. Similar theme. The time has come to see yourself. You always look the other way. I don't want to face it. Nah, nah. Yeah, man, he was a complicated dude and he wanted to get better. <laughs> yeah. So he was at least putting effort into getting better and not being a psychopath. This is also the one that Paul has cited for years of the sweet and sour of him and John with John's Greek chorus of It Can't Get No Worse. Yeah, I like this. So that's uh, that's Paul on the pianet. And then George Martin is actually striking the strings of the piano, which is something they learned off of Pet Sounds, perhaps, because that second yeah. song, they do the same thing. I love the beat from Ringo. It's kind of like a psychedelic version of those beats he did on like uh, Anna. And all I've got to do. Whenever I want you around, yeah. Or even yes. in my life a little bit. It's that. Yeah. Yeah, it's jazzy. Yeah. Some of Ringo's best drumming. I really hope Ringo haters learn to listen to music. <laughs> because like almost everything Ringo did was glorious and innovative and incredible. And it's so easy and so lazy to bash Ringo. Are people still doing that? Yeah. I used to have people bash Ringo. Nobody right? takes seriously. Huh. But like I, my line since maybe the early nineties has been, I'm sorry. He's not John Bonham. Yeah. But I'm also not because like, I don't need like crazy, uh, those kind of crazy fills on Beatles records. I need them on Led Zeppelin records. If I wanted the Beatles to be Led Zeppelin, 
I'd put on a Led Zeppelin record, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't know, man. I don't know. That argument is so antiquated, I think. You know, get a new argument. Ringo's fucking good. Ringo's fucking great. That's where I love mashups. Have you ever heard the Zeppelin R.E.M. mashup, Achilles' Last Stand in the Place Where You Live? <laughs> your feet are going to be on the ground. Your head is there to move you around. No, I haven't. Until now. <laughs> Challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah, KC. <laughs> and your sunshine band. Yeah, with the extras for getting better, you hear uh, the instrumental version recorded on March 9th, and then take nine, which was done the following day, that has the tambura overdub that was done by George. I always like how the tambura was played kind of during that sinister, during that that bummer part of the song, yeah. which is almost kind of strange because it's kind of like othering, like, ooh, you know, but... yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about uh, Indian instrumentation a little later on as we get into side two. But next up is Fixing a Hole on our Deep Dish 55th Anniversary Sgt. Pepper. If you're just tuning in, (laughs) why would you tune in right now? (laughs) Welcome to It Was 55 Years Ago Today, the Untitled Beatles. (laughs) Hey, this song. So Fixing a Hole, this is one of my favorites, man. Uh, This remains actually one of my favorites to the day. This one ranks... Really high on my Sgt. Pepper songs list. I think it's overlooked, underrated. This was the first song that they recorded at Regent Sound Studio, meaning it was the first British EMI session that wasn't at Abbey Road. Because they did Paris once before and Germany, but they weren't signed yet. So this is the first time they went outside in Britain from Abbey Road. And they had a different engineer for this too, right? They had George Martin, but the, yes, but they couldn't get Jeff Emmerich because Emmerich yeah. was with uh, Abbey Road, right? Yeah. I didn't write his name down, but yeah. Adrian Ibbotson. Yeah, and I want to say the Stones and the Who had used Regent Studios and stuff. Yes. So it was, yeah, you know, it was used by other groups, but it wasn't Abbey Road. Yeah, and they only did three takes of this. And the extras you get to hear takes one and three. Three is very loose. I'm painting my they went with take two was the master but yeah they only did this in like three takes it's great paul on harpsichord and a live vocal yes that's wild that's like please please me you know like doing the vocals live with the band and this not not levon helm not uh, <laughs> and not robbie robertson who is somewhere down that crazy river um i love this song too and this is one, I got to bring this up. Paul's trotted this out live a couple times. Yeah. Uh, he did it in rehearsals for the 93 New World Tour. And when he did the show at the Ed, at the Ed Sullivan Theater, he's got to run through this. That's really neat. And then he did a solo piano version of his Magic Piano in the 05 tour. Oh, yeah. With just Paul and his piano, which was really weird and different. What I love about this song, Tony... I can't think of another song that is in a major than a minor key and shifts so quickly. Yeah. This song is a constant battle of major and minor. As much as Benefit of Mr. Kite is looked at as the circus song on this album, obviously inspired by the poster, we'll get to that. Fixing a Hole to me has always felt like a circus environment song too because it's so different and it's it kind of has this lopping along melody and it's in a minor key, then it's in a major key. I love this that. song is vexing to me, and it makes <laughs> me love it that much more. Yeah, I wonder if that's why that song endures in my head. It must be the 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 musicology or whatever that's going on with it, the major minor back and forth. It keeps it interesting. That might be John on bass for this one, since Paul was uh, doing the harpsichord and all that live, unless Paul overdubbed it again. Paul might have overdubbed his bass for this. That would make sense, yeah. Yeah. That would make sense. Maybe John was there. For, I don't know. Maybe at Regent, John did it or something. George was rehearsing bass for Hey Jude in another room. <laughs> this is one of my favorite Beatle guitar solos, actually. This George kind of slidey. It almost sounds like a banjo. I love this solo. Hey. 
it's what a great middle eight. It almost sounds like a Paul guitar solo. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of jagged and Eastern and it's long too. You got some real yeah. estate. It's cool. I've always loved this song. Over Paul singing, hey, it's compliments what George is doing so nicely. It's, it's, this is one of the most, under, you know, Sgt. Pepper, everyone knows every single song on this, but I put this on the underrated Beatles list, like next to Hey Bulldog yeah. and next to Rain. I feel like this song is still underappreciated, if that's possible, on the most famous album of the rock pop era. <laughs> Trivia, TJ. Uh, Jesus Christ was at this recording session. Or, well, that's a guy that was hanging around Paul's house, claimed to be Jesus. Right. <laughs> but he brought him to the studio. He said, like, all right, as long as you keep quiet, you can come to the studio. So there was some, what, what's the guy, who's the guy, Kirk Claudio, you know, who they're making some funny movie about. But like, or the Hare Krishna that was brought in to get back at Twickenham. The Beatles loved the 50s group, the Drifters, and they loved straight Drifters. <laughs> <laughs> Getting back to this guy, this hanger on, like the lyrics in the song. See the people standing there who disagree and never win and won't wonder why they don't get in my door. That was, I believe, alluding to fans hanging outside his house there in St. John's Wood or whatever. Yeah, it was either fans or Jane Asher. <laughs> Jane Asher, the Julian Lennon of Paul's life. <laughs> Prettier. No offense to Julian. No offense. You know, it depends. <laughs> I love that song and I agree with you that it is underrated. I'm glad that one exists. We may not agree on the next one. And before we get to the next one, Tony, I did some scouring. Is this the only Beatles album that has three original Paul songs back to back to back? Man, that's a good question. I'd have to dig through offhand. Yeah, unless American Revolver somehow. I don't know. White Album? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think there's three Paul. I mean, sure, maybe albums that followed, like Abbey Road does with, okay. the, with yeah. the Abbey Road Closer. Sure. But up until Sgt. Pepper, I don't think there's been an album that has three Paul originals back to back to back. Yeah, I, I, haven't, I didn't, hadn't considered that. And honestly, I've never thought of this album that way. But you're right. Yeah, Getting Better, Fixing a Hole, and She's Leaving Home are all Paul. I didn't even think of that. I love the story behind this song, man. I know it's not your favorite song. I actually quite like this song. I was actually talking about this song just the other night with my my buddy Reed, musician here in Chicago, and he was talking about how that song doesn't get enough love. And I, I've always liked this song. I know why you don't like it, TJ. I know it, it has to do with because the guy who arranged it was wasn't George Martin, right? Isn't that a you think it's Treakley, right? George was upset by that too. He You're even right. changed some of the orchestration when he conducted it. He did conduct it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Because uh, he was working with Cilla Black. Oh, that's why? That's the engagement he couldn't make? Okay. When you leave me Say you'll see me again For I know in my heart You will not be apart And I'll miss you till then Got it. Yeah. So he was working with Cilla Black. That's why he couldn't do the score, meaning like write it out and come up with it. But Mike Leander is the guy who ended up doing it. Paul was impatient. Paul, Paul was wanting the, you know, while the, the lightning was hot or whatever the term is. I said you can't fight lightning. I actually, I like this production a lot. There's some moments, I wrote them down, that I really like in the actual score. Like when the, the strings sway a little bit around, we didn't know it was wrong. We didn't know it was wrong. They go from like staccato to like... I love that little waver they do. To me, it's like, uh, it's dizzying and I like it. On the, our baby's gone and the, the strings go the, with the stabs. The da, 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 yeah. The alarm that that creates. I love, I, yeah, I, I really like this song. And I liked it back then too, you know, when I was a junior high kid or whatever. Those stabs on daddy, our baby's gone, were later used for breaking news on NBC. <laughs> And Western Union. <laughs> Western Union. Oh, that's a good song. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the 
here's the thing. Uh, George Martin, even though he didn't score it, loved the song. Paul loved the song. The author of Revolution in the Head, what Ian McDonald, I think his name is, he yeah. loves this song. I'm in the minority here. I look at the song a little like Long and Winding Road. I think the whole thing's treacly. I think the lyrics are treacly. I read mm. some review of this in one of the Beatle books. I can't remember which one that said one of the great things is it takes the point of view of both the parent and the child. So it's not like commenting in terms of one way or the other. It's not like, fuck you old people, fuck you young people, <laughs> that it right. takes. Uh, but for as much as John and Paul trade lines in so many Beatles songs, getting better one we just heard, I feel like John's Greek chorus thing here to me is just as treacly as Paul's lead vocal. So I don't love the lyrics. I don't love the music. The subject matter kind of bores me. Oh. And I'd much rather prefer <laughs> robots sing this like they do in the Sgt. <laughs> Pepper film. A robot. <laughs> Well, horses for courses. Horses for courses. Ponies for chonies. Panthers for <laughs> Zamphires. Ponies at Shonies. Come on down to Shonies for Pony Burger. I'll give you that, man. But I think the story is amazing. So, yeah, 150 Glimpses of the Beatles. It's a great book written by Craig Brown. It's a great book. I, I read it uh, a year or two ago. And it's, yeah, 150 little vignettes uh, throughout the Beatles story. So there's two stories that are based on uh, She's Leaving Home. Glimpses 24 and 25. So, if I may, shall we do it? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. October 4th, 1963, the producer of Ready, Steady, Go had Helen Shapiro, the Beatles' friend, who was a big star when the Beatles were small. So they were on tour with Helen Shapiro, who was on top of the game, and then She Loves You becomes number one in the middle of that tour, and now the Beatles are bigger than Helen Shapiro, and the Beatles start suddenly headlining. So... Helen Shapiro has a new single out called Look Who It Is. Well, look who it is. Fancy meeting you suddenly. And the producers at Ready, Steady, Go were like, hey, let's have you sing this song to the Beatles. You'll sing a verse each to each Beatle. And you can find this on YouTube. It's great. I remember I sent this clip to you not it's long great. ago. I hadn't seen it. And uh, the problem is there's only three verses. So they flipped a coin and Paul lost the coin toss. So he does not appear in the Helen Shapiro thing. Instead, he goes to a different studio and he has to judge this like lip syncing contest to Brenda Lee's Let's Jump the Broomstick. Well, come a little baby, let's jump the broomstick. Come and let's tie a knot. Come a little baby, let's jump the broomstick. Come and let's tie a knot. And you can find this on YouTube too. Did uh -huh. you watch it? Oh, it's great. It's great. So there's four teenage girls, you know, lip syncing and dancing to this song. Four. Uh, Who's it going to be? I think the winner, uh, as far as I'm concerned, number four. Number four, Melanie Coe. And number four is Melanie Coe, a 14-year-old. And she was great. Didn't you think she was the best one? Yeah. <laughs> I, I agree with Paul. <laughs> and she gets a handshake out of it and a, a brand new copy of Please Please Me. Instead of a date with Paul, she was disappointed because the previous time they did it, you got a date with one of the Beatles. Right. But she became a dancer on Ready, Steady, Go. She later met John when she was 17 at the Bag and Nails Club and hung out with John. Then shortly thereafter, and I'm not saying this has anything to do with John, but she became pregnant and she left a note on her kitchen table and went off to live with a croupier. <laughs> I had to look that up because I don't know what a croupier is. Is a croupier it someone who runs a uh, roulette table? Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah. I read it as Crooper, and I thought it was like, oh, is he a fishmonger or something? But no. <laughs> Croupier is also what French babies get sometimes. <laughs> so Paul reads the February 27th edition of the Daily Mail, the headline, A-Level Girl Dumps Car and Vanishes. The father of 17-year-old Melanie Coe, the school girl who seemed to have everything, spent yesterday searching for her in London and Brighton. Quote, I cannot imagine why she would run away. She has everything here. She is very keen on clothes, but she left them all, even her fur coat. And uh, yeah, she ran away. She ran away with this guy. It didn't work out. She went to Spain. It didn't work out with that guy. She moved to L.A. and she started dating Burt Ward. Holy hole in a donut. Robin from TV's Batman. Yes. Pow. Zap. <laughs> Bang. Smush. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> Fab. 
Yeah. <laughs> Other suitors of Melanie Co. include The Puzzler, False Face, and Lord Marmaduke Fogg. <laughs> Those are other Batman villains. So I did not know that about Melanie Coe. Thank you for telling me that. How did she not make our fifth Beetle bracket, Tony? Well, she'll have to be in the sixth Beetle bracket yeah. for uh, 2023. Yeah. Stay tuned. 2023, it's our sixth Beetle bracket brought to you by Kenny Rogers Roasters. I, I, I will say the remix does use the mono version. I No, no slam. It is a beautiful melody. Uh, I prefer to hear this in mono and the 2017 remix uses the mono version, but made for stereo. And that does solve it. I really do feel like the stereo one, once you've heard the mono is just unnecessarily sluggish. Perhaps, perhaps to each their own. I mean, I, I'm in the minority here. I, mean, I, I look at this a bit like long and winding road. I get it. This is your Hey Jude for me. Like I'm, I'm the guy that has heard like it, Hey Jude. And you can start to make it so being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, this is the second song to feature an exclamation point in an original Beatles song. Can you name the other there's three total. Can you name the other two? Help? Correct. Ah. Uh. Yeah, that's the one. Exclamation point in a Beatles song. The third one's a hard one. I'll give you a hint. It came after this record. Yeah, I was just going to say, I Want You? Close. What's the song before it? Oh, Darling. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, There's an exclamation the o, right. on oh. Right. <laughs> oh my God, you're right. I was thinking back cover Abbey Road with the white titles on the brick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, of course, did not count the songs 1822, Set Fire to That Lot, Ooh My Soul, and Ooh My Arms. Live at the BBC has got a lot of exclamation There's points. There's a lot on those, yeah. And, and the, the exclamation point on Come Give Me Dine a Hand is implied. Right, right. It's assumed. I do love on, on BBC, like there's tracks called like Fa La 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 La. Yeah. Close. Sha La 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 La. Yeah, but you know. Before that baby, the, too, right? the Christmas version is unreleased. <laughs> Why didn't the Beatles do a Hanukkah record? <laughs> uh, yes, being for the benefit of Mr. Kai, famously, the lyrics were taken off that uh, nearly plagiarized, if I, if I may. Yeah. From that poster from 1843, bought during the Strawberry Fields uh, promo film filming in Kent. In Kent, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it's a great circus song, man. I would say that this song does make the concept of Sgt. Pepper work. Lennon always like, my songs had nothing to do with the Pepper thing. And to a degree, that's true. But I mean, if you look at the cover and if you look at the vibe and that, all that, this helps make the concept, I think. Well, yeah, it's good with all the circus sound effects and the organ, even though it doesn't have, it doesn't have a lot of audience sound effects, does it? Am I, no. Why am I spacing on this? No, I, there's no audience on it, no. But, yeah. you know, there might be something in there. In the, there's 19... Uh, pieces of tape for that uh, thing that they all spliced together randomly. Yeah, that George Martin threw the organ sounds in the air and swept back together for that kind of whirling sound that sounds. What did he say? John Lennon asked him for something that sounded like sawdust. Yeah. Yeah. He wanted to smell the sawdust or something smell like the that. Sawdust. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think he delivered. I mean, this song is it's a total psychedelic circus thing. It's fallen in my list since I first heard it. But when I was really into this record, it was one of my favorites. I love the way it closes the side. One of the things that's lost in the CD era that was lost is the huge circus carnival buildup and that minor pattern it ends on. It ends in that minor pattern before... And then the side is over. It's such a killer ending. Some of George Martin's greatest production work is on this song. And he pumped the hell out of like a pump organ. Like he was like collapsed on the floor after doing so many takes of it. Because you really have to. Have you played a pump organ before? Well, I mean, (laughs) you know. Really, Tony? 
I think all of us know exactly where this one went, and this is why we have an editor. In the extras, there's a fun bit where uh, John is discussing like how, what they're going to be doing with the song, and he makes reference to the Mast Alberts. He's some, he says something like, oh, we'll get the Mast Alberts by then. Yeah, don't, don't shout it out, though, John, just for the moment. Well, all right. It'll, you'll hear it, though. I mean, it'll be on the bass. Well, we'll have the Mast Alberts on by then, won't we? Just whisper it, then. Two, three, four. They were this like bizarre vocal group that George Martin produced. Uh, they had like Spike Milligan ties and this sort of thing. But uh, he produced a record by them called Morse Code Melody in 1962. Anyway, it's worthless. I did a little deep dive on the Mast okay. Alberts and it's, it was fun, man. It was fun. Albert Records present the Morse Code Melody announced by Professor Bruce Lacey with a solo on the human voice. Well, geez, man, is, is this going to have to be a three-parter? <laughs> sure. It's summertime. We do have a lot more to cover in side two of our part three on the Sgt. Pepper 55th anniversary. Remember, you only have 10 more years to listen to this record before it's retired and you can no longer listen to it again. That's what's happening, man. Dude, you know for sure that when this album it turns 64, it's going to be... <laughs> When I'm 64, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band Deluxe 64 3 issue. You know that's coming. They should. I'll buy it. Fuck it. I don't care anymore. <laughs> and of course, thanks to our producer, Casey Baker. If you like what you hear, like and subscribe. Smash the smush button. Pow the smush button. <laughs> Zap the smash button. <laughs> Back off your boogaloo, and uh, we'll catch you on the flip-flop of uh, Sgt. Pepper's Not-So-Lonely Hearts Club Band. There's a lot of people there. I'm Casey. Make your episode shorter. You don't control me. Untitled Beatles Podcast. Like and subscribe. 